Baby shark, do 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 do. Baby shark, do 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 do. Baby shark. If you're a parent, or you've been around children at all over the past year or so, you are quite familiar of with this timeless ballad, known as Baby Shark. Children delight in it. Parents, if you're like me, despise it. And yet its rhythm and repetition have a way of, of burrowing themselves into our brain. Even now, some of you are going, do, 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 do. Here in Ephesians, Paul is not employing a rhythm, but certainly a repetition. In these first 14 verses, we read over and over again, Christ Jesus in him, in Christ. In Christ, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Through Him, we've been adopted. In Him, we have redemption. All of it's happened according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ to unite all things in Him. In Him, we've obtained an inheritance. In Him, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. What Paul wants us to recognize is that all the blessings of God, every spiritual blessing, belongs to the Christian. Belongs to those who are in Christ. It's almost as if he's saying, all the blessings of God are yours. Yours in Christ, do, 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 do. Yours in Christ, do, 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 do. Yours in Christ. And you might be asking yourself, did he just employ the rhythm of baby shark to remind me that the blessings of God come to me in Christ? And absolutely I did. I hope that every time you hear that rhythm and hear that song or you turn to Ephesians 1, you are reminded that all the blessings of God are yours only in Christ. Christ is certainly at the center of this Trinitarian passage. We pointed this out before, but I think it's worth doing it once more. Uh, Verses 3 through 14 have a distinctly Trinitarian shape. You have the Father choosing and adopting His people in verses 4 through 6. You have the Son performing the work of redemption in verses 7 through 12. And then you have the Holy Spirit sealing the whole deal up in verses 13 and 14. Now, if you're really astute, you've gone, but that's not the way that you broke it down in order to preach it. I know, I'm aware. Uh, We did three different sermons, or we're about to do three different sermons. We did one focused on election. We did one last week focused on redemption. And this week, we're going to focus on this idea of inheritance and how that ties together with adoption, which came before, and the sealing of the Spirit, which completes the whole deal. And so with that in mind, we we want to remember that all of these blessings that we're being reminded of, all of this kind of, this plan of salvation that's kind of laid out for us here, God's choosing, Jesus redeeming, the Spirit sealing, all of that is meant to lead us to praise God. The, the, The main kind of idea of the section is in verse three, and then the rest of the section is explaining what that means or why we should do it. It's the ground. So Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's going to just provide us with a whole bunch of reasons that we should bless God or praise God. 
And so this morning, as we come to our text, you can see that our main idea is this. Praise God, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I want to exhort you, specifically as it relates to verses 11 through 14, to be assured of your salvation. Outline is there before you. The blessing of inheritance is given to those who are chosen for adoption by God, and it's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray, and we'll begin our time this morning. Father, give us humility that we might hear your word. Give us humility that we might be changed by your word. Grant us humility that we might serve one another. Lord, accomplish this work by your Spirit. Speak now, your people listen. We pray that you would give us ears to hear. God, we love your word. We long for it. Speak to us now. Speak to us as your children. You are our good and great Heavenly Father. We come to you in the name of Christ. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. In Him, that's Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, that's Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Before we get into the text, we have to do some work this morning at the front end because a question that I dealt with far too long this week because really, however you answer, you kind of end up at the same place, has to be answered. The question is this. You see in verse 12, there is a a we who were the first to hope in Christ. And then in verse 13, there's a you also. And so the question is, who's the we and who's the you? And really, there, there are two good options at the end of the day. The first says... That the you is you Gentiles, and the we is we Jews. And there's some good reason to think this. So if you look in verse 11 of chapter 2, Paul is addressing the Gentiles. He says, you Gentiles in the flesh. And then in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, uh, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And so there's there's pretty good reason to think that it might be we Jews and, and you Gentiles. And if that's the case, Paul is saying something akin in this section to uh, we Jews who were the first historically to hope in Christ are to the praise of God's glory. And now in Christ, you Gentiles share the same blessings that we do. When you heard the word of truth and you believed in Jesus, you were saved and sealed just like us so that all the, the blessings of God came to all of God's people in Christ. We are one in Christ and enjoy all the blessings of God. And this is the interpretation I favored 
at the front end of the week uh, until Harold Honer changed my mind. And this is what he says. The interchange of we and you is normal epistolary style. We continues to stand for all Christians as it has in the previous verses. The Jew-Gentile distinction at this juncture isn't really tenable because up until verse 12, we in the eulogy stands for all Christians who are in Christ. And there is no indication in verse 12 that the we refers particularly to Jews. Although distinctions are drawn later in the epistle, there is no indication of that here. Furthermore, the we of verse 12 refers to the same people as the we in verses 5 and 8. Consequently, it cannot be limited to Jewish Christians. Moreover, our inheritance in verse 14 is for all Christians. Lastly, Paul does not take up the discussion of Jews and Gentiles until verse 11 of chapter 2. And even then, we is employed to refer to all believers. So those are the two options. I ended up persuaded of the second one. Both can be helpful. Both are good. They land you in the same place. Ultimately, those in Christ have and are guaranteed an inheritance. You see that in verse 11. In him, we, that's we who have believed in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. This is spectacular news. We who have trusted in Christ have obtained an incredible inheritance. I don't know that, that we quite grasp how grand and glorious this is. I mean, to, to get the, a, a full-orbed perspective on, on what this means to inherit every spiritual blessing, to inherit fellowship with God, to have the privilege of calling God Father, knowing Him as Father, the one who should relate to us as judge, adopts us, and then treats us as sons, so that we relate to Him as Father rather than judge. And He does so through the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. This is incredible. We have an inheritance by virtue of being adopted in Christ. And it's really important that we recognize this inheritance that we have obtained, this sonship that we enjoy, is not generically given to everyone who has ever breathed air. In fact, it is quite limited. I think sometimes this can be confusing for us because in one sense we'll say, well, we're all children of God after all. And that's true in the sense that God has created everyone and everything and that man is made in the image of God. But it's untrue in the sense that all of us are at peace with God and members of his family. Ephesians 2 will pick up on that later and said, say, by nature, you are children of wrath. If you don't know Jesus, if someone doesn't have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, then they do not know God as Father. They are not his children. They're children of wrath. That's why this language of adoption makes any sense in the first place. Right? If, you're already, if you're already the son of someone, you don't need to adopt them. Right? Elliot is my son. Owen is my son. I don't, I don't need to adopt them. They're mine. But if someone is not your child and you wish to relate to them as father or mother, well, then they must be adopted. And this is what has happened, we're told, in verse 4. 
We'll start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed, uh, blessed us in the beloved. That's Christ. God chose us, we Christians, in Christ to be adopted as sons before the foundation of the world. It's important that we maintain this language of sons. Like we, we could say sons and daughters, but the reason that the word is sons here is because in the biblical world, the only people who inherited were firstborn sons. And what Paul wants us to see here is that when we are adopted in Christ, we are viewed as having all the rights and privileges of a firstborn son, men and women alike. We, we are Adopted as sons, as those who inherit in Christ. And here's the part that should, should really blow your mind. Do you know what you did to deserve this adoption? Absolutely nothing. God set his love on you, not, not because you're really special, despite what your kindergarten teacher told you, he chose you not because he looked down the hallway of time and saw that you would choose him. He chose you not because you're really impressive. He didn't choose you because of anything in you. God chose to save you because he wanted to. Adopted children don't choose their parents. But Brother Christian, he... He decided that you would be his. Sister, he, he chose to love you, to make you his beloved in Christ. Church, God chose you as his treasured possession by his grace and nothing more. God loves you, has chosen you, and has adopted you into his family. This, this means, listen, if he's adopted you into his family, it means that you can't screw it up. You can't mess it up. You can't do anything to earn more of God's love. He relates to you as a father does, a son, and he loves you the same on your best day, as he loves you on your worst day. Our adoption as sons is incredible. It means we, we have access to God that we didn't have before. We get to relate to God as Father. Did you ever think about that? The one who set the stars in the sky and told the oceans only come this far, mountains rise this high, that person, that God, the creator and sustainer of everything, allows you to relate to him as his children. And he gives you access 
It's not like he adopts you and then locks you in a room down the hall and shuts his door and says, you know, only, you, have to, can, you can see me uh, between 9 and 5 if you make an appointment. Now we, we have access. It's similar, for example, uh, as your pastor, uh, you have access to me, right? You can, you can come by my study. Uh, you can take me out to lunch. Uh, you can come talk to me at the door on Sunday. You can even drop by the house. You have access. But it, it's limited in some sense. It's definitely very different than the kind of access my children have to me, right? If I'm at all in my study, at any point in time, they can burst through the door and climb up on my lap. If you did that, it'd be a little weird. They they can crawl into bed with me mid-morning and rouse me awake. They have a special and unique access to me as their father. It reminds me of a, a Tim Keller illustration. He always says, the only person that would dare to wake up a king in the middle of the night and ask for a glass of water is a child. And his point is, that's the kind of access you have to God. If you're a Christian, that's the kind of access you have to God as your father. I always love, uh, J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. But at one point, the question is raised. What is a Christian? Or how do you know if somebody is a Christian? And Packer answers the question this way. He says, a Christian is someone who has God as father. This doctrine of adoption is no small teaching in Scripture. It communicates to us how God has loved us in Christ. It should lead us to humble praise of God. We should be so grateful that in His benevolence, He chose to set His love on us before the foundations of the world. He chose to save us from our sins, knowing that we would choose to make ourselves spiritual orphans. Regardless of our rebellion, He sought us. He sent Jesus who sought us and bought us with his precious blood so that we might know him as Father. When was the last time that you thanked God for being your Father? For adopting you? I think at this point a pretty normal question comes. How do I know if I'm elect? How do I know if God has chosen me for adoption? The simple answer is, when you hear the gospel, you believe in Jesus Christ. That's how you know. But this does bring us to, to an area of tension. I think there are two propositions that the Bible holds together and complement throughout the scriptures that relate to one another in a mysterious way that our minds cannot yet puzzle together. The first proposition is this. God is absolutely sovereign, but his sovereignty never functions to mitigate human responsibility. That's the first proposition. The second proposition is this. Human beings are morally responsible creatures. They're free agents. People do what they want. 
They believe, they disbelieve, they obey, they disobey, they choose, they rebel, they submit. And their actions are regarded as morally significant. People are morally responsible creatures. And in Scripture, this never functions so as to make God contingent. It never functions to make God as anything less than sovereign. So the quicker way to say that is, God is sovereign over everyone and everything, completely in control. True. And the second proposition is that at the same time, people are responsible agents, morally responsible creatures. These are both true at the same time. And so, are you a Christian? Are you saved? It's because God chose you before the foundation of the world. Do you want to be saved? Well, then choose Christ. Repent of your sin and follow Him. Be baptized. Join a local church. Celebrate the Lord's Supper. Enjoy all the gifts that salvation entails. I do think it's helpful to to think of this, think of becoming a Christian like walking through a door. On the front of the door are painted the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The words of Isaiah. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And then, once you walk through that narrow door and turn around, painted on the other side of the door is Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, so that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Non-Christian, walk through the narrow door. Put your faith in Christ. If God has made provision for sins, if forgiveness of sins is possible, why would you choose to remain an orphan another moment? Christian, praise God that before the foundation of the world, He chose to adopt you in Christ according to the purpose of His will. You see that there at the end of verse 5, and that same kind of chorus is picked up in Verse 9 and verse 11. You see, verse 5, He predestined us to adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which is set forth in Christ. And then verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. Why do we have that inheritance? Because we've been adopted as sons and sons inherit. Having been predestined, Here it is again, according to the purpose of Him, that's God, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Notice, God does not just work some things according to the counsel of His will. He does not just work many things according to the counsel of His will. He does not just work most things according to the counsel of His will. What's it say? He works all. All things 
according to the counsel of His will. All of God's plans and purposes are always accomplished all of the time. Job, chapter 42, verses 1 and 2. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not even one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Or Acts chapter 4, verse 27. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God works, that is, brings about all things according to His purpose and His plan. The cross was not an accident. It was not an ad hoc arrangement. It was planned before the foundation of the world for your adoption, for the forgiveness of your sins, to the praise of the glory of God. Indeed, men, evil men, responsible for the wickedness they did, met the cross for harm. They hung an innocent man. Jesus died an ignominious and unjust death. And yet, even though they meant it for evil, God meant it for good. He brings about, He works all things together according to the counsel of His will. And friends, this should be, if you are a Christian, the source of incredible encouragement. It means that nothing comes to you that has not been ordained by God. It means that nothing happens in your life that God is not going to ultimately use for your good. It doesn't mean you're always going to be able to understand exactly how he's using it for your good. It does mean that he is using it for your good. Of course, we're told that in that wonderful passage in verse 8 of Romans 8. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What comfort! When you are suffering, when you are in sorrow, when you are just confused about what's going on, you can lay your head on the pillow of God's providence. You can say, I don't know why this is coming to me, but I know you're good. I don't know why this is happening right now, but I know ultimately it's conforming me to the image of Christ. I know there's suffering now and this is hard, but I also know there is a resurrection coming. There, there may be suffering now, but I know that God is taking it to glory later. And if I have any doubt about that, I can simply look to the cross of my Savior. 
where death is transformed into life. God works all things according to His will, His good purposes. He does it so that He might bring glory to Himself. And because He works all things according to His will, He can guarantee that we will be adopted and enjoy an inheritance in Him. And our inheritance, it's an already and a not yet. Right? Already we enjoy every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, but we don't yet enjoy the full redemption of our bodies. We don't yet enjoy heaven and earth made one and every creature in harmony and rightly relating to the God who has made all. And yet we wait for that with patience. We look forward to it with eager expectation and hope. Knowing that God's will always gets done. Look at verse 13. In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Let's stop right there for a second before we get on to talking about the Spirit. Did you notice what, what, the, what has to happen if someone is to believe in Christ? If someone is to take hold of these spiritual blessings. When you heard the word of truth, and in case, in case we don't know what the word of truth is, Paul explains it to us, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. And so it is absolutely necessary for anyone who's going to have peace with God and know God as Father, it's necessary for them to hear the gospel and to believe in Jesus. No one is saved apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, everyone is under the right wrath of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. And how do they come? Well, they hear of Christ crucified for sins, of Christ raised for justification, of Christ returning to make all things new. And they believe it. That's how someone becomes a Christian. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. No one becomes a Christian without hearing and believing the gospel. Friends, we must preach Christ crucified. We must share the gospel with our family and our friends and our neighbors. Otherwise, we condemn them. It's unloving to withhold the good news. And God's sovereignty and salvation should empower our evangelism and our praying. We pray for God to change the heart of, of Jane Doe and John Doe because we believe that God is a sovereign God and that He changes hearts. We share the gospel not because we think we are really persuasive, but because we believe that God the Holy Spirit takes hearts of stone out and puts hearts of flesh in. We believe that the Word of God can bring dead people to life. 
God is sovereign in salvation. I love when Paul is thinking of, of giving up preaching the gospel. He has Jesus come to him and say, don't stop preaching. I have more people in this city. You understand that? God has people in your life, in this region, that he is planning to save to himself through the proclamation of the gospel. Through you proclaiming the gospel. The means by which God has decided to reconcile people to himself is through gospel proclamation. Heralded by people like you and me. He is incredible. I wonder if everyone that you shared the gospel with over the past month came to Christ, how much bigger would the family of God be? In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's really interesting with the verb tenses here, the way they all relate to one another. You can't figure out which order they're occurring in. I think that's intentional. The idea is that, that you believe because you have the Spirit, and the Spirit at that same time when you're believing in Jesus performs this sealing action. And i got to tell you, sealing with the Spirit, man, that's great alliteration. Right? We are sealed with the Spirit. It rolls off the tongue, but the meaning of it, I, I don't think, is readily apparent to us. What does that mean to be sealed with the Spirit? So it's a seal of identification. This past week, I, I had to go and get a real ID. Have you all had to do this yet? And so it was as, about as pleasant as dealing with the DMV can be, which is, you know, not very. But, but I had to call and schedule an appointment. And then I had to get all kinds of documents together. You know if you've been through it, right? I had to have like an insurance bill, a utility bill, a check, uh, an envelope that was postmarked that was addressed to me, passport, a license. I got all, all that documentation together and I went and eventually they, they gave me a real ID uh, because apparently my previous one was, was not real. Uh, but they gave me a real ID. You know, Why? What was the purpose of this? What was the purpose of all the identification? What was the purpose of getting the, the real ID? Well, the point was that they, they wanted to ensure that I was me. It was an authentication of my identity. This is what the sealing of the Spirit is. It is an authentication of the Christian's Adoption. It authenticates your identity in Christ. It says, it's a stamp that says, belongs to God. What an excellent source of assurance. There's all kinds of sources of assurance of our salvation in the Christian life. Participation in the local church our belief in the gospel, our enjoying the fellowship we have with, with one another, fruitfulness and good works. And, and this one is, is right there with them. It's great. The sealing of the Holy Spirit. How do I know I'm a Christian? I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
the Spirit inside of me affirms and authenticates my sonship. It's incredible. But, but that's, not, that's not all. And do notice we're still with the promised Holy Spirit. The word, that word promised in there is to, to tip us off. That this is the Holy Spirit that was foretold by the prophets, promised by Jesus, and who came at Pentecost. This is the Holy Spirit. This is God. He's not only sealed us for salvation, He's guaranteed our inheritance. See that in verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. That word guarantee can be legitimately translated down payment. And I think that actually helps us get the idea of what Paul's communicating. Just like an engagement ring is a pledge of marriage, and just as a deposit on a house is a partial payment indicating the fullness of the amount that, that will be paid over time by the owner to the bank, so also the Spirit is given to us as a deposit, as a down payment by God, indicating that He intends to give us the fullness of His blessing. The Holy Spirit applies to us the redemption accomplished in Christ. And He is the down payment, assuring us that God will give us the fullness of our inheritance. Struggling Christian, this is good news. You can't undo your adoption. You can't, if you're really in Christ, you can't lose your salvation. You didn't earn your salvation, and you can't lose your salvation. If you could lose it, friend, you would have already lost it. It is God who saves us and keeps us and guarantees that he will bring us safely home. You recognize, Christian, that you are as secure in your relationship with God as Jesus is. You will lose your salvation when Jesus is sucked off the throne in heaven and back into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. You will be disowned by God when he disowns Jesus Christ. And that's never going to happen. God's election of you Father's choosing of you is irreversible. The Son's redemption of you is irreversible. The Spirit's sealing of you is irreversible. This should lead you to be certain of your inheritance. Friend, be assured of your inheritance in Christ. Be assured of your salvation. And praise God who has blessed you with such a gift, with such a great inheritance. Praise the God who has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing. All these wonderful gifts come down from the Father of lights in Christ. All the blessings of God are yours in Christ. 
Yours in Christ. Do, 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 do. Let's pray. Father, we, we recognize that everything we have comes from you, and so we offer all that we are and all that we have to you. You are worthy of all our affection. You're worthy of our greatest devotion. And yet, Lord, we confess that often we find ourselves devoted to other things. Often we find our affections whoring after lesser pleasures and lesser beings, idols. And yet, you love us still. You see the depths of our hearts and you love us the same. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that our sins have been forgiven by the substitutionary death of Christ. And we thank you that Christ is risen and that we share that same destiny. We thank you that your grace is greater than all of our sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.